Legacy, Chapter 10, In the Facets of a Wondrous Gem. Regis and Drizzt pulled up in a small side chamber, its ceiling relatively clear of the persistent stalactites common in this region of the caves, and its entryway low and defensible. Should I put out a torch? the halfling asked. He stood behind Drizzt as the drow crouched in front of the entryway, listening for sounds of movement in the main tunnel beyond. Drizzt thought for a long moment, then shook his head, knowing that it really did not matter that he and Regis had no chance of escaping these tunnels without further confrontation. Soon after they had fled the battle, Drizzt discovered other enemies paralleling them down side corridors. He knew the dark elf hunting techniques well enough to understand that the trap would not be set with any obvious openings. I fight better in the light than my kin, I would guess, Drizzt reasoned. At least it wasn't in Treary, Regis said lightly, and Drizzt thought the reference to the assassin a strange thing indeed. Would that it were Artemis and Treary, the drow mused. At least then he and Regis would not be surrounded by a horde of drow warriors. You did well in dismissing Gwenhyver, Drizzt remarked. Would the panther have died? Regis asked. Drizzt honestly did not know the answer but he did not believe that Gwenhyver had been in any mortal peril. He had seen the panther dragged into the stone by a creature of the elemental plane of earth and plunged into a magically created lake of pure acid. Both times the panther had returned to him and eventually all of Gwenhyver's wounds had healed. If the drow and the drider had been allowed to continue, he added, it is likely that Gwenhyver would have needed more time to mend wounds on the astral plane. I do not believe the panther can be killed away from its home, however, not as long as the figurine survives. Driz looked back to Regis, sincere gratitude on his handsome face. You did well in sending Gwenhaver away, though, for certainly the panther was suffering at the hands of our enemies. I'm glad Gwenhaver would not die, Regis commented as Driz looked back to the entryway. It would not do to lose so valuable a magic item. Nothing Regis had said since his return from Calimport, nothing Regis had ever said to Drizzt, seemed so very out of place. No. It went further than that, Drizzt decided as he crouched there, stunned by his halfling companion's cowless remark. Gwenhyver and Regis had been more than companions, had been friends for many years. Regis would never refer to Gwenhyver as a magical item. Suddenly, it all began to make sense to the Dark Elf the halfling's references to Artemis and Treri now, back with the dead dwarves, and back when they had talked of what had happened in Calimport after Drizzt's departure. Now Drizzt understood the eager way in which Regis measured his responses to remarks about the assassin. And Drizzt understood the viciousness of his fight with Wolfgar. Hadn't the barbarian mentioned that it was Regis who had told him about Drizzt's meeting with Caterbury outside of Mithril Hall? What else did you tell Wolfgar? Drizzt asked, not turning around, not flinching in the least. What else did you convince him of with that ruby pendant that hangs about your neck? The little mace skipped noisily across the floor beside the drow, coming to rest several feet to the front and side of him. Then came another item, a mask that Drizzt himself had worn on his journey to the southern empires, a mask that had allowed Drizzt to alter his appearance to that of a surface elf. Wolfgar eyed the outrageous dwarf curiously, not quite sure what to make of this unorthodox battle rager. 
Bruner had introduced Puente to the barbarian just a minute before, and Wolfgar had gotten the distinct impression that Bruner wasn't overly fond of the black-bearded, smelly dwarf. The dwarf king, to take his seat between Cobble and Caterbury, had then rushed across the audience hall, leaving Wolfgar awkwardly standing by the door. Thibbledwarf Puente, though, seemed perfectly at ease. "'You are a warrior, then?' Wolfgar asked politely, hoping to find some common ground. Puente's burst of laughter mocked him. "'Warrior?' the body dwarf bellowed. "'You mean one who's for fighting with honor?' Wolfgar shrugged, having no idea of where Puente was leading. "'Is yourself a warrior, big boy?' Puente asked. Wolfgar puffed at his great chest. "'I am Wolfgar, son of Bjornagar,' he began somberly. "'I think as much.' Went called across the room to the others. And if he was fighting another, and he tripped on his way in and dropped his weapon, you'd stand back and let him pick it up, knowing that you'd win the fight anyway, Point reasoned. Wolfgar shrugged, the answer obvious. You realize Point will surely insult the boy? Cobble, leaning on the arm of Brunner's chair, whispered to the dwarf king. Gold against silver on the boy, then. Bruner offered quietly. Puent's good and wild, but he ain't got the strength to handle that one. Not a bit I'd take, Cobble replied. But if Wolfgar lifts a hand against that one, he's to get stung not to doubt. Good, Caterbury put in unexpectedly. Both Bruner and Cobble turned incredulous looks on the young woman. Wolfgar's needing to get some stinging, she explained with uncharacteristic callousness. Well... There you have it, then. Puent roared in Wolfgar's face, leading the barbarian across the room as he spoke. If I was fighting anyone, if I was fighting yourself and you dropped your weapon, I'd let you bend and pick it up. Wolfgar nodded in agreement, but jumped back as Puent snapped his dirty finger right under Wolfgar's nose. And then I'd put me spike right through the top of your thick head the battle rager finished. I ain't no damned stupid warrior, you darned fool. I'm a battle rager, the battle rager, and don't you ever forget that the point plays to win. He snapped his fingers again Wolfgar's way, then stormed past the stunned barbarian stomping over to stand before Brunner. You got some outrageous friends, but I'm not surprised. Point roared at Brunner. He regarded Caterbury with his broken-toothed smile. But your girl'd be a cute one if you could find a way to put some hair on her chin. Take it as a compliment, Cobble quietly offered to Caterbury, who only shrugged and smiled with amusement. Battlehammers always kept a soft spot in their hearts for them that wasn't dwarfkin, Point went on, directing his remarks at Wolfgar as the tall man moved beside him. And we let them be our kings anyway. Never could figure that part out. Bruner's knuckles widened under the strain as he grabbed hard on the arms of his chair, trying to control himself. Caterbury dropped a hand over his, and when he looked to her tolerant eyes, the storm quickly passed. Speaking of that, Puent went on, there's an ugly rumor making the rounds that you've got a drow elf standing beside ye. There's be any truth to that? Bruner's first reaction was one of anger, 
Always the dwarf had been defensive about his oft-maligned drow friend. Caterbury spoke first, though. Her words directed more to her father than to Puent, a reminder to Bruner that Drizzt's skin had thickened and that he could take care of himself. You'll be meeting the drow soon enough, she told the battle ranger. Sure and that one's a warrior to fit your description, if ever there was one. Puent roared a derisive laughter, but it faded as Catterby continued. If you came at him to start a fight, but dropped your pointy helm, he'd pick it up for you and put it back on your head, she explained. Of course, then he'd take it back off and stuff it down the back of your pants and give you a few boots just so you'd get the point. The battle rager's lips seemed to tie themselves up in a neat knot. For the first time in many days, Wolfgar seemed to approve completely of Caterbury's reasoning, and the nod of his head, and of Bruner's and of Cobble's, was certainly appreciative when Puent made no move to answer. "'How long will Drizzt be gone?' the barbarian asked, to change the subject before Puent could find his irritating voice. "'The tunnels are long,' Bruner replied. "'He will return for the ceremony,' Wolfgar asked, and there seemed to Caterbury to be some ambivalence in his tone." an uncertainty of which answer he would prefer. "'Be sure that he will,' the young woman put in evenly, "'for be sure that there'll be no wedding "'until Drizzt is back from the tunnels.' She looked at Bruner, thoroughly squashing his protests before he even uttered them. "'And I'm not for caring if all the kings and queens of the north "'are kept waiting for a month.' Wolfgar seemed on the verge of an explosion, but he was wise enough to direct his mounting anger away from volatile Caterbury. "'I should have gone with him,' he growled at Bruner. "'Why did you send Regis along? What good might the halfling do if enemies are found?' The ferocity of the lad's tone caught Bruner off his guard. "'He's right,' Caterbury snapped in her father's ear. Not that she wanted to agree with Wolfgar on any point, but that she, like Wolfgar, saw the opportunity to vent her anger openly." Bruner sank back in his chair, his dark eyes darting from one to the other. "'Dwarves is lost, is all,' he said. "'Even if that's true, what will Regis do but slow down the drow?' Caterby reasoned. "'He said he'd find a way to fit in,' Bruner protested. "'Who said?' Caterby demanded. "'Rumblebelly!' shouted her flustered father. "'He did not even wish to go,' Wolfgar shot back. Did too, Bruner roared, leaping up from his seat and pushing the leaning Wolfgar back two steps with a sturdy forearm slam to the lad's chest. "'Twas Rumblebelly that told me to send him along with the drow, I tell ya. Regis was here with yourself when you got the news of the missing dwarves, Caterbury reasoned. You didn't say a thing about Regis telling you to send him. He told me before that, Bruner answered. He Telled! The dwarf stopped, realizing the illogic of it all. Somehow, somewhere in the back of his mind, he remembered Regis explaining that he and Drizzt should go after the missing dwarves. But how could that be, since Bruner had made the decision as soon as they all learned that the dwarves were missing? Have you been tasting the holy water again, me king? Cobble asked respectfully but firmly. Bruner held his hand out, motioning for them all to be quiet while he sought his recollections. He remembered Regis's words distinctly and knew he was not imagining them, but 
No images accompanied the memory. No scene where he could place the halfling and thus straighten out the apparent time discrepancy. Then an image came to Bruner, a swirling array of shining facets spiraling down and drawing him with them into the depths of a wondrous ruby. Rumblebelly told me that the dwarves be missing, Bruner said slowly and clearly, his eyes closed as he forced the memory from his subconscious. He told me I should send himself and Driz to find them, that them two alone would get the dwarves back to the hall safely. Regis could not have known, Cobble reasoned, obviously doubting Bruner's words. And even if he did, the little one would not have wished to go along to find them, Wolfgar added, equally doubtful. Is this a dream? Not a dream, Bruner growled. He told me, with that ruby of his. Bruner's face screwed up as he tried to remember, tried to call upon his dwarven resistance to magic to fight past the stubborn mental block. Regis would not, Wolfgar started to say again, but this time it was Caterbury, knowing the truth of her father's claims, who interrupted them. Unless it wasn't really Regis, she offered, and her own words made her mouth drop open with the terrible implications. The three had been through so much beside Drizzt, and they all knew well that the drow had many evil and powerful enemies, one in particular who would have had the wiles to create such an elaborate deception. Wolfgar looked equally stricken, at a loss, but Bruner was fast to react. He jumped down from the throne and blasted between Wolfgar and Puent, nearly knocking them both from their feet. Caterbury went right behind, Wolfgar turning to follow. "'What in the head of a goblin are them three talking about?' Puint demanded of Cobble as the cleric, too, rambled past. "'A fight,' Cobble replied, knowing well how to deflect any of Puint's demands for a lengthy explanation. Thibbledorf Puint dropped to one knee and rolled his burly shoulder, punching his fist triumphantly out in front of him. "'Yeah!' he screamed in glee. "'Sure and it's good to be back serving a battle-hammer!' Are you in league with them, or is this a terrible coincidence? Drizzt asked dryly, still refusing to turn about and give Artemis and Treri the satisfaction of viewing his torment. I do not believe in coincidence, came the predictable answer. Finally, Drizzt did turn around to see his dreaded rival, the human assassin Artemis and Treri, standing easily at the ready, fine sword in one hand, jeweled dagger in the other. The torch, still burning, lay at his feet. The magical transformation from halfling to human had been complete, clothing included, and this fact somewhat confused Drizzt. When Drizzt had used the mask, it had done no more than alter the color of his skin and hair, and his amazement now was obvious on his face. You should better learn the value of magic items before you so casually toss them aside the assassin said to him, understanding the look. There was a note of truth in Entreri's words, apparently, but Drizzt had never regretted leaving the magical mask in Kalimport. Under its protective camouflage, the Dark Elf had walked freely without persecution among the other races. But under that mask, Drizzt to Arden had walked in a lie. You could have killed me in the goblin fight, or a hundred other times since your return to Mithril Hall, Drizzt reasoned. Why the elaborate games? The sweeter comes my victory. You wish me to draw my weapons, 
to continue the fight we began in Calimport's sewers. Our fight began long before there, Drizzty Arden, the assassin chided. He casually poked his blade at Drizzt, who neither flinched nor reached for his scimitars as the fine sword nicked him on the cheek. You and I, and Trerry continued, and he began to circle to Drizzt's side, have been mortal enemies from the day we learned of each other, each an insult to the other's code of fighting. I mock your principles, and you insult my discipline. Discipline and emptiness are not the same, Driz answered. You are but a shell that knows how to use weapons. There is no substance in that. Good, and Trevi purred, tapping Driz's hip with his sword. I feel your anger, Drow, though you try to desperately hide it. Draw your weapons and let it loose. Teach me with your skills what your words cannot. You still do not understand, Drizzt replied calmly, his head cocked to the side and a smug, sincere grin widening on his face. I would not presume to teach you anything. Artemis Entreri is not worth my time. Entreri's eyes flared in sudden rage and he leaped forward, sword high as if to strike Driz down. Driz didn't flinch. Draw your weapons, and let us continue our destiny, and Trerry growled, falling back and leveling his sword at the drow's eye level. Fall on your own blade, and meet the only end you'll ever deserve, Driz replied. I have your cat, and Trerry snapped. You must fight me, or Gwenhiver will be mine. You forget that we are both soon to be captured, or killed, Driz reasoned. Do not underestimate the hunting skills of my people. Then, fight for the halfling, and Trevi growled. Drizzt's expression showed that the assassin had hit a nerve. Had you forgotten about Regis? And Trevi teased. I have not killed him, but he will die where he is, and only I know of that place. I will tell you only if you win. Fight, Drizduarden, if for no better reason than to save the life of that miserable halfling. And Trevi's sword made a lazy thrust at Drizd's face again, but this time it went flying wide to the side as a scimitar leaped out and banged it away. And Trevi sent it right back in and followed it closely with a dagger strike that nearly found a hole in Drizd's defenses. I thought you had lost the use of an arm and an eye, the drow said. I lied, and Trevi replied, stepping back and holding his weapons out wide. Must I be punished? Drizzt let his scimitars answer for him, rushing in quickly and chopping repeatedly, left and right, left and right, then right a third time as his left blade twirled up above his head and came straight ahead in a blinding thrust. Sword and dagger countering, the assassin batted aside each attack. The fight became a dance, movements too synchronous, too much in perfect harmony for either to gain an advantage. Drizzt, knowing that time was running out for him, and more particularly for Regis, maneuvered near the low-burning torch, then stomped down on it, rolling it about and smothering the flames, stealing the light. He thought his racial night vision would give him the edge, but when he looked at Entreri, he saw the assassin's eyes glowing in the telltale red of infravision. You thought the mask gave me this ability, and Trevi reasoned. Not true, you see. 
It was a gift from my dark elf associate, a mercenary not so unlike myself. His words ended at the beginning of his charge, his sword coming high and forcing Driz to twist and duck to the side. Driz grinned in satisfaction as Twinkle came up, the scimitar ringing as it knocked Entreri's dagger aside. A subtle twist put Driz back on the offensive, Twinkle coming around Entreri's dagger hand and slicing at the assassin's exposed chest. Entreri already had begun to roll, straight backward, and the blade never got close. In the dim light of Twinkle's glow, their skin colors lost in a common gray, they seemed alike, brethren come from the same mold. Entreri approved of that perception, but Drizzt surely did not. To the renegade drow, Artemis Entreri seemed a dark mirror of his soul, an image of what he might have become had he remained in Menzoberranzan beside the amoral kin. Drizzt's rage led him now in another series of dazzling thrusts and cunning sweeping cuts, his curved blades weaving tight lines about each other, hitting at Entreri from different angles with every attack. Sword and dagger played equally well, blocking and returning cunning counters, then blocking the countering counters that the assassin seemed to anticipate with ease. Driz could fight him forever, would never tire with Entreri standing opposite him. But then he felt a sting in his calf and a burning, then numbing sensation emanating throughout his leg. In seconds, he felt his reflexes slowing. He wanted to shout out the truth, to steal the moment of Entreri's victory, for surely the assassin, who so desired to be Drizzt in honest combat, would not appreciate a win brought on by the poison quarrel of hidden enemies. Twinkle's tip dipped to the floor, and Drizzt realized he was dangerously vulnerable. Entreri fell first, similarly poisoned. Drizzt sensed the dark shapes slipping in through the low door, and wondered if he had time to bash in the fallen assassin's skull before he, too, slumped to the ground. He heard one of his own blades, then the other, clang to the floor, but he was not aware that he had dropped them. Then he was down, his eyes closed, his dimming consciousness trying to fathom the extent of this disaster, the many implications for his friends and for him. His thoughts were not eased with the last words he heard, a voice in the drow language, a voice from somewhere in his past. Sleep well, my lost brother.'